Well, take your Bible and turn to John chapter 6. We're going to look at two passages really in John, and uh, the first one is in John 6. The second will be in John chapter 15. In this passage in John 6, it's really an amazing story because Jesus has a church growth plan where he grows his church from over 5,000 men, not including women and children, down to a few disciples. He does this by upholding a standard of belief that his followers really need to have. And in John chapter 6, you have a large crowd they had gathered to hear Jesus preach. And as the day wore on, they became very hungry. And Jesus fed the 5,000 men plus women and children. And then we read that he departed to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And the next day, that same crowd that had been fed the day before, they were hungry again. They were looking for Jesus. So they went to find him. And they finally found him on the other side of the lake. They hunted him down. And as they approached Jesus, they asked Jesus a very innocent-sounding question. In verse 25, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? They were making small talk. What they really came for, they want to see Jesus, the great feeder of the crowds, feed them again. And so they were there for food. And they made small talk, but Jesus saw right through it, and he exposed their hearts. And he says in John chapter 6, verses 26 and 27, these words. Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. But they didn't understand. They didn't get it. Here they are, standing in front of the one person that Jesus just said has the Father's approval. He has, he, Jesus said, I have the approval, the seal of God the Father. I'm the only one. And you're standing before me. And you're asking for bread. You're asking for fish. They didn't understand they didn't get it. And so their next question sort of exposed their hearts even further. Because Jesus talked about not working for the food which perishes, but for the food that leads to eternal life. And so the next question is in verse 28. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? You understand what Jesus had just said? Jesus had just said, don't work for the food which perishes, but for the food, the bread that leads to eternal life. And where's that bread going to be found? Jesus says, it is found in the one upon whom God has set his seal of approval. In other words, crowd, stop looking at your own life, your own needs. Focus yourself on the one that has God's approval. Their next question was, great, how do we do these things? They missed it again. What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? So Jesus again told them that they should not focus on themselves, 
but focus on Him. He says in verse 29, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Makes it as clear as possible. You guys keep looking at yourselves, saying, How can we fix this problem? We're still hungry. Jesus said, Look to me. Look upon the one, believe in the one whom God has sent. Now at this point, do you think that these people truly believed? No, they didn't. Pay very close attention to the next thing they said. In John 6, verses 30 and 31, so they said to him, Well, what then do you want, or excuse me, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. You see what they just said? They said, we're hungry. Jesus said, you need a different kind of bread, a spiritual bread. Jesus told them to work for the work which never perishes, that leads to eternal life. Do that kind of work. And they say, well, what do you want us to do? Jesus said, believe in me. I'm making it as clear as possible. Believe in me. Their next question was, who are you? What sign are you going to do for us that we might believe in you? This is the exact same crowd the day before had seen Jesus take a few loaves and a few fish and feed thousands upon thousands of people with many baskets left over this very same crowd the next day they not only say what sign can you perform that we might believe in you but they go further they say you know what if you're anything like moses he fed people the food of god in the wilderness now how clueless are these people they just got fed with the miraculous bread and fish the day before, and they're throwing out Moses' miracle of manna in the wilderness to them? They're throwing that out to Jesus? In fact, what they're essentially doing, they're, they're basically saying, we want more food. Hey, you fed us yesterday. We haven't forgotten that. But do another sign. Feed us again today. Because that's what we want. We want our felt needs met. We want our physical hunger satisfied. Because Jesus, that's what you're good at. You're good at whatever you can do for me. That's what they're saying. Now, they're essentially requesting more food from Jesus. And it makes a very important point that I want us to not miss. It's really the point of the message today. These people did not come into Jesus' presence, into Jesus' presence wanting Jesus. They came into Jesus' presence wanting for, to fulfill their own desires. And that's why they missed it that's why they missed it ultimately because they did not come to Jesus in order to get to know him better in order to worship him they did not come to Jesus in order to get closer to him 
They came to Jesus because of what Jesus can do for me. Their entire outlook was completely self-centered. It's all about me. It's all about my needs. I'm hungry. Jesus, snap to it. Satisfy me. That was their attitude. Jesus responds again. He says that the manna that Moses gave was nothing compared to the true bread of heaven. In John 6, verses 32 and 33, Jesus said this way, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Well, now he's got their attention. I mean, bread like that? Bread that can feed the whole world? Bread that can last forever? That's better than Jesus feeding us yesterday. Jesus can meet my needs forever. He can meet the needs of the whole world. The, this bread of God could satisfy the whole world for all eternity. So in verse 34, Jesus, or they said to Jesus, Lord, always give us this bread. And so Jesus presents it to them. Verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Look down at verse 40, Jesus continues the thought. He says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. So what's the problem with the crowd? The problem is, Jesus was not the bread they were looking for. They wanted bread for their bodies. They didn't want bread satisfaction for their souls. And they complained in verse 52. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They really didn't understand. So Jesus lays it all out on the line. Verses 53 through 58. Listen to what Jesus says. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will also live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. What in the world is Jesus talking about? How do you eat the flesh of Jesus? How do you drink the blood of Jesus? 
With all due respect to our Roman Catholic friends, this has nothing to do with the doctrine of transubstantiation. It has nothing to do with mass and the elements of the Lord's Supper turning into the literal body and blood of God. That's not what Jesus is talking about. In fact, that doctrine is not found anywhere in Scripture. How do we eat and drink our Savior? How do we do that? I'll show you how to do that. I want you to compare two verses that we just read. John 6, verse 40, and John 6, verse 54. Both of these are the words of Jesus. You'll see them on the screen. John 6, 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him has eternal life. How do you get eternal life? By believing, right? John 6, 40. Everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Got it? Belief leads to eternal life. John 6, verse 54. Same speech. Jesus is talking to the same crowd, same context. And here's what He says. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Exact same words, except believe has now been called eat my flesh and drink my blood. Here's the conclusion. We eat and drink Jesus by having a living, dynamic faith or belief in him. That is how we eat and drink Jesus. Jesus did not come to this world to be a waiter to serve us physical bread. He is the bread. He is the bread of God. And we consume him through belief. Here's a major point, perhaps the major point of what God wants to tell you today. When you come to God focusing on your own interests and desires, you miss the whole point of being God's child. I mean, I don't even think we realize how self-centered we are, even when we come to God. You know, we, we come to church, well, I want my church this way. We come to God in, in prayer, our prayers, I want God to do this for me. And so everything is very self-centered. We don't even realize it. We live in a very consumer-oriented society, perhaps the most consumer-oriented people that have ever lived on the face of the earth. All we do is consume. You turn on the radio, and in between songs on the radio, you hear a series of commercials, some lasting up to two minutes or four minutes of a series of commercials and every last one of them teaches the same thing. Spend your money here. Spend your money here. Consume this. Consume this. Consume this. And we get this attitude of consumption and we bring it into our relationship with God and we feel like God is the great supermarket where we can consume whatever we want. You know, I hear people say, Jesus is the answer. Well, He is. If you're asking the right question, he is the answer. But if you think that Jesus came to earth for the sake of you having every felt need met, 
to have any and every need you feel like, have, feel like you have at any given moment, you're wrong. We say, well, if you're lonely, Jesus can be your friend. If you're single, Jesus can be your companion. If you feel hurt, Jesus can be your encourager. If you're poor, Jesus came to make you rich. If you're sick, Jesus came to make you well. And we would say, well, yeah, Jesus is our friend. He is our encourager. He is our healer. He is all of, all of these things. But don't you see the problem? The crowd came to Jesus, and they said, we're hungry. We're here for us. Feed us. Snap to it, because that's what you're there for. And we walk into a very dangerous situation, a situation that causes spiritual damage to ourselves and to others around us, when we get a mindset that says that God exists to serve my needs, and especially my felt needs. They believed that Jesus came to make them full, and they totally missed it. Jesus does satisfy our needs. He does meet our needs. Don't misunderstand that. But the primary thing Jesus does is to save us from sin, to save us from our own unbelief. He gives us so much more than the temporary pleasures that we seek out in life. He gives us eternal life. And today, if you want to walk in the path of victorious obedience, that level path that we've been talking about, you have to move beyond wanting to get your own needs met. You have to move beyond that. Some people want a relationship with God because they of what they think that Jesus can do for them. And listen, make no mistake about it. You might, have, you might have initially been drawn to Christ because you had a felt need, perhaps even a real need, in your life, and God answered that need. God blessed you. That may have drawn you to Christ. But what I'm saying is there's a, there's a point in your spiritual life and your spiritual journey where you need to move beyond that. You need to come to a point where you desire a dynamic relationship with Jesus because you want to get to know him better not just because he's the great Santa Claus who gives you things Jesus saved you not just to meet your felt needs he saved you so you could know the joy of walking with him so you could experience the incredible uh, experience of journeying with Christ and getting to know God more intimately, more closely, day by day. And so he doesn't just exist for our sake. We exist for his sake. And it is a total change of focus, a focus of where you're living and existing and praying and being and coming to church and everything you're doing just for you, or you're beginning to live for God. And every aspect of your life is God-focused. And you go to work, that dreary, earthbound work that you go to on Monday or whatever day you go to work, and it becomes a point of worship for you. It becomes a point where you go to that job, whatever it is, and you decide, I want this experience of mine today to glorify God. 
even if you, you work in a totally secular environment, it can be for you a point of worship because that becomes a point where you focus your life on God. In fact, the great mystery of becoming free from sin is found in this idea. If, you want, if you've been dogged by a certain sin or you've been sort of bound and, and it seems like Satan sort of has a, a control of a certain part of your heart, one of the things that we've been talking about in this idea of walking the level path of God and becoming free from that sin is going to be found in this uh, sermon today. And I want you to understand this, and I want you to see if you can get this around your head. If freedom from that sin is your goal, you'll always miss it. If your focus in your spiritual life is becoming free from whatever sin has gripped your heart, that's your focus. I want to be free from this alcohol. I want to be free from this issue. I want to be free from this problem, whatever it is. If your life's focus is freedom from sin, you're never going to be free from that sin. You'll always miss it. Your focus needs to be on Christ. Because until you move your focus from your problem to God, you're always focused on what? Your problem. Freedom comes when we put our daily experiential focus on God. God takes care of the rest. We begin to break those bonds. That's how you become free. By seeking a dynamic, living relationship with Jesus. Not just for what He can give you, but simply for the purpose of knowing Him. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Very famous verse, you already know it. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. God will take care of the things that you used to focus on. You need to change your focus. Change what you seek. Change what you desire. You need to desire Christ. I want you to imagine a couple of scenarios. Scenario number one, there's a son. Son number one, he, he takes advantage of his father. This son is out of work. He's out of money. He only goes to see his dad to seek financial help. What do you think about such a son like that? Ah, we've all seen it, you know. That's no good. You know, he's probably a dishonorable young man. Probably doesn't even love his father. The only time he thinks he loves his father is when his father can do something for him. And we'd be right. Son number two, though, loves his father. He loves being around his father. He loves to share the joys that his father has and the sorrows that his father experiences in life. He's eager to hear his father's wisdom. He goes to his father for advice during the good times and the bad. Well, there comes a day when bad stuff happens. 
Hard financial times come to that son, son number two. Something goes wrong, something goes sideways. Son number two needs a bailout, needs some cash, needs some help, some assistance, some wisdom. He goes to his dad. What do you think about that son? That son has a love for his, for his father, right? Right. Think about your heavenly father. Which son are you? Your heavenly father just sort of exists when you get in trouble and, and you mess up. But otherwise, you don't really care to get to know him that well. You don't really love him that much. You don't really pursue a relationship with him. You don't really want him to be a part of your life and experiencing the, the highs and joys of life with you. Or are you son number two? For you love your heavenly father. You want Jesus to walk with you on that level path. You want him to be there with you during the good and the bad, and yeah, bad days are going to come. You're going to lose that job. You're going to get hurt somehow. Something's going to happen. Which son are you right now? You know, when you have a close relationship with someone and you seek their help during the time of need, that's actually a sign. It is a sign of a deep, committed love. There's nothing wrong with seeking help in a time of need, especially when you have that close, dynamic, loving relationship. But when you only look to someone when you're in trouble, that's a sign too. It's a sign of a corrupted relationship. You see it all the time in church business. You go to any church in town, they'll tell you it's a weekly occurrence when Someone will come knocking on the door asking for cash. They want, they want some drug money. That's what it usually is. Every once in a while, it's a real need. But a lot of times, they simply want some cash to get them through. They have no desire for an ongoing, loving relationship with the pastor or with the people of the church. They have a corrupted heart, and they see God, and they see the church as a means of fulfilling their own corrupted desires. But listen, God and His love, He's given us a very level path to walk in life. It's a path of obedience. It's a path of victory over sin. Again, in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 9, we read these words, They will cry as they return. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams on a level path where they will not stumble. I will be a father to Israel, and Ephraim will be my firstborn. And we've talked in this series about how if you want to walk this level path of God, Jesus said that his yoke is not difficult, his yoke is easy. It's really fairly easy to live a godly, obedient life. I mean, one thing you just don't do is you don't do wrong things. You don't be okay doing wrong things. But Jesus gives us principles, and God and the entire scriptures give us principles by which we can stay on this level path. The number one thing on this level path that we need to understand is that it is, it is fundamentally a path of grace. We know that grace is not just the forgiveness of sins, but grace is a power by which we walk obediently, and we live obediently. We know that this level path is a path of sorrow, not Worldly sorrow because you got caught doing something wrong or you feel bad even because of something bad you did. But it's a godly sorrow. 
That worldly kind of sorrow leads to death. But a godly sorrow, you become sad because your relationship with your Heavenly Father, whom you love, is broken. And needs to be made right. This level path is a path of violence against sin. Whereby you take every radical action you can, every action that's necessary to eliminate the source of temptations in your life. Not that eliminating the source will change your heart, it won't. But what it does do, it buys you time. It eliminates that source of temptation and it allows your mind and your life to be refocused on Christ, which is where it needs to be. That level path, it's the path of friendship. Because you're not meant to walk your Christian journey alone. If that were true, God would have made you on this earth and nobody else. But he's not made just you. He's given you a spiritual family and especially he's given you a perhaps a, a close number, a small number of friends, spirit-filled, godly friends, who will not leave you when you confess your sins, but they will help hold you accountable and help you stay on the journey. This level path that we would walk on is the path of expressing thanks. Because when you are thankful to God and you express it with your mouth, either to God or to other people, and you, become in the, you get in the habit of expressing thanks, you will not sin. Expressing thanks does something that's incredible. The actual expression of thanks builds joy in your heart. So make it a practice. Put it literally in your to-do list if you have a daily to-do list. Think of five things today that, are, that may, I'm thankful for and express it somehow. Make it a practice. It'll change your heart. And this level path that God has given us to walk is the path of the vine. What do I mean by that? It means staying connected to Jesus. He's the vine and we are the branches. And we must abide in him. We must be connected to him. Not just for what he can give us, but because we love him. We want to know him better. Listen, the Christian life is not simply about getting victory over the sin that haunts you. It's so much greater than that. You've received an opportunity, an invitation even, to experience a very real, a loving, dynamic relationship with the Savior of your soul, with the God who created the entire universe. You think about how infinitely big and how infinitely small this universe is, the care and the undertaking that God must have had when he created this universe, and how much bigger, if you want to use that term, God must be, how much greater God must be, how much infinitely more wise God must be. And in all the different galaxies of this universe, God created one planet that was habitable for you. And he created people that he could love. And this same God who's done all this says to you, I want to get to know you better. I want to talk with you. I want to hear from you. Will you get to know me? What an incredible invitation. We have an invitation from the Savior of our soul who is the only one in the history of mankind who's ever received the Father's seal of approval. The only one. And this one who has received the Father's seal of approval, you think about the billions of people that have lived on this earth. Billions of people 
Wouldn't you think that the one that stands out above them all, if you got an invitation to spend time with that one, wouldn't that be an incredible thing? I mean, if the king, the president, the prime minister sent you an invitation and said, I want to spend some time with you, we'd jump at the chance. But here we have the king of kings. He's given us that very same invitation. And dare we say to the king of kings, get me this, get me that? How arrogant, how self-centered that is. There has to come a point in our lives where we say to the king of kings, thank you. And I want to spend time with you too. See, here's how you know you've turned the corner in your struggle against sin. When you begin to pursue Christ more than you pursue the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the prideful uh, source of pride in your life, that's when you know you've really turned the corner. The level path is all of these things. But more than anything else, it's the path where Jesus is. In this path, this journey to heaven that we walk, all of us, myself included, have stumbled and turned and gone our own way. But don't you realize that the way back is simply to see where Jesus is, go toward him, and we'll be on that level path again. It's the path where Jesus is. The risen Lord wants to walk with you. Remember how the risen Lord walked with the two on the road to Emmaus? He wants to walk with you. You remember how the risen Lord walked with Peter by the shore of the Sea of Galilee? And Peter said at the end of John's gospel, hey, what about him? He's following us. And Jesus said, if he wants to come, let him come. It's his business. But Jesus was saying to Peter, I love you. Do you love me? Let's walk together. Feed my sheep. Jesus made us a promise in John chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you want, whatever you wish, it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. How do you do that? How do you abide in Christ? How do you dwell in Christ. Jesus talked about having his words abide in us. We've got to be people of his word. If your Bible's been getting dusty, dust it off, get in the habit of reading it. You've got to be a person that reads God's word, that puts it somehow into your heart and into your mind. Absolutely, critically necessary. You cannot be an obedient Christian without having God's Word in your life. You need to pursue the Christ who is in the Scriptures. And so if we say that we love Jesus, we must take the time to hear what He has to say from the pages of His Word. We also abide in Christ when we talk with Him. That's prayer. So let me give you a couple of practical uh, suggestions. Um, especially if you've sort of been derailed, if you've gone off the level path, one thing that I would suggest for you is to get back on the level path 
not only read scripture, but maybe even have it read to you. There's a lot of uh, Bible books on CD, on tape, on the internet. One of my favorites is uh, Bible.is on the internet, Bible.is. And uh, what it does, there are certain translations for they have different people reading scripture to you, but it's done in a dramatic way. And so uh, when it comes to a woman's voice, there'll be a woman who speaks or a man's voice, a man who speaks, or uh, the narrator will have a different voice than uh, a character. And it sort of makes it come alive a little bit. And it, so it's an interesting take on that. Sort of brings you back to the actual uh, day in which it was written. But I would also say you can pray the words of Scripture. You can pray Scripture. That's one of the best things you can do. If you don't know what to pray, I mean, have you ever been there where you just think... I really don't know what to pray about today, God. Don't don't have much on my plate today. Don't know what to to really offer up to you. And it's probably a bad sign that I don't know, even know what to say. But what do you say? Listen, open up the Word of God and begin to pray Scripture. For example, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, the words will be on the screen behind me. But you can pray this. Father, I've been raised up with Christ. Help me to keep seeking the things above. For Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Father, help me set my mind on the things above. Not on the things that are on the earth. Because, Father, your word says I have died. And my life is hidden with Christ and God. You've made a promise that when Christ is, my life is revealed, then I'll also be revealed with Him in glory. You can pray the Psalms. You can pray different passages of Scripture. But make it your own. Make it a word of prayer to God. When you do that, do you think you would ever pray something that's not within God's will? God's will is revealed in His Word. And when you pray it, you are in your spirit agreeing with God about what he has already said. Listen, if you want victory over sin, you really have to pursue Christ. Has to be a priority in your life. Pursue him so you can know him, and then Christ will give you everything that you need, including power over sin. But if your heart is cold to Christ, today you need to ask him for forgiveness. Ask him for power to change. Ask Him to fill you with a burning desire to know Him and to love Him more than anything or anyone else. 